0: Save your seat now at growandemaiallist.com. That's growandemaiallist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 313. Dump out your makeup bag right now, and I'm willing to bet you've got the creation of today's guest bouncing around as a beauty must-have. The Beauty Blender is iconic, but the backstory, it's even better. It started with about a million no's. Having a hard time getting people on board with your business idea? Because my guest, Rianne Silva, can sympathize. But when her idea for the Beauty Blender was shot down time after time, she learned how to make things happen on her own, fine-tuning her pitch along the way until she finally heard a yes. Actually, it was more like a yes, but, and I'll let her tell the whole story. Rianne is here to share her story of product development, of getting people to see her vision and her advice for moving the needle forward, even when life and distractions pull you away from your biggest goal. You ready for it? Here she is, Rianne Silva.
1: You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. All right, Ree. I was
0: just telling you before we hit record that you have just changed my mother's life. She had never had a Beauty Blender and you sent over an amazing box, which I am just loving. And so <laughs> you're changing lives every day. Little did you know. So
2: thank you and welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Jenna. And I'm so happy that your mother discovered Beauty Blender. Thank you for that.
0: Out time because I've been using your products for years. So I want to kick this off. You have such a fascinating story and you are the woman for the job today, but I want to hear kind of the early days. So walk me through how you got to where you are today, because I know it hasn't been the
2: easiest journey. Mm. Well, easy is never interesting, is it? So (laughs) let's just say that it's been interesting. So I was born in Southern California. My mother's Mexican, my father's Portuguese and Irish. My mother was a bit of a naturalist, didn't wear much makeup. And I really think that that is kind of what sparked my curiosity when I finally discovered makeup existed was the fact that my mother didn't really wear a lot of makeup, but my aunt Betty sure did. So it was like (laughs) a huge contrast. She was like a showgirl from like, I don't know, the fifties. She wore like three pairs of eyelashes and she was doing the uh, contoured lip way before it was a thing. And she would, you know, come up to me at family events and pinch my cheeks. And I just remember, her zooming in on, you know, from a distance, almost like a, like a rack shot, like coming towards me with this face. And I was like, what is all this stuff? (laughs) That's really, you know, where I first recognized that there is stuff that we put on our faces and some of it is good. Some of it makes us look really pretty. Some of it makes us look really weird and it's all a personal choice. And, you know, I just grew up in Southern California, grew up here around Hollywood. Being from California, I think, is definitely an advantage if you're going to get into any kind of art that is connected to the entertainment industry. I went to you know high school here in Southern California and then ended up applying and going to FIDM in Los Angeles. It was one of the first years that it was actually ever in existence. That's why I am um, I'm, I'm, I'm not 12. So (laughs) yeah, so I went there thinking I was going to get into fashion design, ended up really being more interested in fashion illustration, which led me to needing to figure out how to support myself while I was in college. I'm giving you the cliff notes here. I got a job as a perfume model in a department store. I quickly realized that I could use my illustration art schools if I could fake it till I make it and become a makeup artist in retail behind the counter. I happened to be really good at doing my own makeup because I had a lot of practice at this time. My Aunt Betty inspired me. (laughs) And then I, yeah, I became a market artist for Chanel, and that was really wonderful. I learned, which is really useful for me today, by the way, I learned the importance of not only being able to make people feel good with the artistry that you apply to them, but being able to upsell the products that you're using. Because of course, in retail, they want you to not only be a good artist, but to sell the product. So then, yeah, I realized, wow, there's a ceiling to this job. Oh, I think I skipped way over, Jen, at the part where I become pregnant and I'm a single Parent, so oh, you include yes. that. <laughs> so, what happened during this time was I met this this man who I fell in love with, and he happened to play in the NFL. And I thought I was going to be a football mom and a football wife, and I ended up not being any of that. But I did fall back on my makeup artistry skills, went back into retail. But now I was a single parent and I needed to figure out how to support myself and my child. And there was just not enough money in retail for me to do that in the style that I wanted. And because I live in California and because it's connected to the entertainment industry, I had met so many different friends that were makeup artists and they had worked in different areas of entertainment, whether it was at the time music video was, you know, just really like blowing up or editorial or film and television. Like I had met, I was really lucky to meet people that worked in these different genres. So I could kind of identify like what I thought I could do as a makeup artist, because this was what I was doing. This was what I was born to do It was really, even though I went to the fashion Institute of design and merchandising, I realized quickly that I didn't want to be a fashion designer. Like I thought I did. I was really more interested in the art and applying that art to makeup was where I really enjoyed my art. So I wanted to be a makeup artist. So I pretty much quickly summarized as much as I could in retail, got into doing music video. I met some people. I'm pretty persuasive i guess when i want to be and i was able to talk my way into doing some really low budget videos at first and met some really great people along the way like paul hunter hype williams brett ratner f gary gray i mean i worked with the i ended up working with the most incredible people and the most incredible artists and the best production companies and really being able to use my creativity cuz back then music video was very creative and you know learn more about makeup and when i started doing music video music artists had just started to become these 360 artists where they would leave music and then go into advertising and get you know campaigns whether they're beauty or consumer goods and i would go with them and be their makeup artist of choice i would be a a star request is what they call it. And I would work with them on their separate projects. And, you know, then one of them would get a movie, you know, say like the opportunity to go from being a pop star to an actor. And, you know, of course, at the time, everybody wanted them to feel comfortable so they would be able to bring their team with them. And I started doing film and television. I mean, this is all a very condensed version for you, Jenna, but (laughs) this is over the course of many years. And that was really the journey. That's how I did it. It's so fascinating.
0: So, where did this love of makeup and serving others as a makeup artist transition into creating a beauty product? Like, did you just see the need and decide you were the one to fill it? Tell me about that.
2: So, working in production, whether it's music, video, editorial, film, and television, It's really long hours, okay? I was really fortunate that I was able to join the makeup union, Local 706, here, and be able to be you know, protected and guided with the rules and regulations they have. But, I mean, let's face it, it's a hard job. People, you know, people look at makeup and there's a part of it that's very glamorous and very Mm -hmm. fun, but it is real work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, after doing it for a certain amount of years there were compelling thoughts in my brain. I was like, how long can I keep doing this? It's, you know, I'm, I'm doing three or four music videos a week. I'm not getting any sleep. then I'm going right into doing, you know, a TV show and, you know, trying to leave that show and do a red carpet during lunch for an actor. Not to mention like, being a mom, <laughs> and not to mention being a mom. My, my daughter, she, you know, she grew up pretty much, you know, under the under the counter of my my makeup counter in my trailer. A lot of times, she was with me a lot. Yeah, so you know, time management. I and it really became quality of life issues for me. I really needed to find a way that I could have it all because I believe we can have it all women. I think we can do it all. I think there's time management and planning that has to go into it. But really, if you have a vision and a goal, I think you can try to work the challenges in your favor. So that's what I did. Basically, after many years of keeping this really crazy schedule. Oh, and by the way, I didn't put in the part where my daughter then wanted to be an actor. And so on my off days, I was running around taking her to (laughs) auditions and still being Uh, on a set because she would book every audition she would go to. So on my days off, I was somewhere on someone else's set being a stage mom. It was crazy. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. So, you know, All of that to say, I got to a point one day where I was, you know, really trying to figure out what is the next step for me. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of at a place where, you know, at the time between celebrity music videos and film, all the stuff I was doing and and I had an agent I was making, you know, six figures and I was making as much as I really could as a makeup artist. And I was still finding it challenging to live the quality of life that I wanted to present to my kid, especially here in LA where, you know, I don't know, like LA Unified School District. I know they work hard and do their best, but it's not the greatest place. It wasn't where I wanted my kid to be. So I had private schools and, you know, people thought that, oh, it's such a luxury. You have a nanny and a babysitter. No, no, that's not a luxury. That's a necessity. My housekeeper is like my work wife. I'm out making the money. She's at home taking care of my kid and making sure she eats. And, you know, there's all these uh, external expenses that, go into managing a life that's really full like that. And I needed to find a way to make more money. And, you know, as a woman, as an, an entrepreneur, as a creative, at some point you look back and you think like, what are all these amazing experiences for? Where is this leading me? What am I supposed to be doing with all of this experience? And, you know, experience, really, I mean, I had amazing onset relationships with my clients, with different creative people. What is all of that for? What am I supposed to be doing with all of this? There's a a higher thing that I'm supposed to be achieving. So, you know, you start thinking in those ways, like what is the next step? And for me, I didn't really realize immediately what I thought it would be. I, I thought maybe I would become, you know, a makeup artist with a makeup line. I thought that Mm -hmm. would be like what I was doing right away. But you know, along came this little egg shaped sponge (laughs) that totally threw me and, you know, took me on a journey for 15 years. But that is pretty much the trajectory. It was just, you know, focusing so I could stay creative, so I could make money so I could take care of my child. I was not the kind of person that could work in an office nine to five. I mean, to me, that seemed like, you know, sure death. Like I wouldn't be able to be happy with that kind of lifestyle. And it's, you know, it's, it's for some people, people like that stability and like to be in an environment where everything is pretty predictable. I kind of really just like the creative world that I lived in. And that's what I did.
0: When it comes to content creation, you either do it because you love it or because you know it's a powerful business tool. Now, either way, it takes a ton of work. Whether you're building your website from scratch or struggling to manage payments, you need Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate one-stop shop that's been my go-to for almost a decade. Yes, nearly a decade. It's designed to help creators and entrepreneurs build thriving online businesses with steady recurring income. Whether it's blogging, coaching, or podcasting, Kajabi Kajabi makes it simple to transform your passion into profitable online courses, exclusive membership sites, and so much more. Over the years, Kajabi has been my rock from hosting my signature courses like the Pinterest lab to handling transactions without taking a single penny of my money. That's right. You get to keep 100% of what you earn. With Kajabi, you get powerful analytics, simple payment options, effective email marketing tools, and beautiful website templates that you can customize. And here's a little secret. You don't need a massive following to earn a great income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi who are making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers, and you can be one of them. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business. If you go to kajabi.com slash goal, that's K-A-J-A-B-I.com slash goal. Join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion today at kajabi.com slash goal. So did you tell me about creating this little egg shaped sponge and Mm. was it something that you like created on your own out of necessity or a hack that you had figured out? How did that all come to be? Because the idea in my head of like conceptualizing a product, getting it created
2: and all of that seems like really extreme. So I told you I started doing television, like I went with Brandy and I started doing Moesha and I started getting into television, like when when you work on a TV show, you become a family with everybody in production. And those people go on to do other TV shows. So I was called to department head this show called Girlfriends. And it was a Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer had just gotten a production deal. It was the first show Mara Akil Brock and him put together. And it was the story of four African-American young women. And it was the first show being broadcast and shot in high def, which at the time was like really this new way of shooting with new kinds of film. It was video. It wasn't actually film. And the thing about it was that the makeups looked very different in this Mm -hmm. format. And so makeup... Artists. okay. so in TV shows, you do have to be in the union. So I told you I was in the union. So I was an unusual union member in that I didn't only do film and television. I did film, television, music, video, all the things I just said. So I had also had experience in airbrushing. And airbrushing prior to high def was something that was a technique that was used for makeup application for special effects, you know, like when you put in like, you know, horror makeup. Yeah. Uh, So I had come across a way to be able to blow beauty makeup through my airbrusher. So when I was known for this, the producers at Girlfriends wanted to bring me in because it had been widely known in the high def world that was becoming, you know, relevant, that airbrushing was the best way to do makeup. So although there weren't union members that airbrushed beauty makeup. So here I was, I got hired to do the job because I could do that. But my challenge was really not, you know, can you do airbrushing makeup, but how do you work with airbrushing on a set when you've got Mm -hmm. four girls on set and no electricity to, well, there is electricity all over the set. Don't get me wrong, but you can't like bring your compressor to do catch ups on the actual start over all over and (laughs) start over. I mean, it's, it becomes a nightmare for production because one girl is leaving the set. Then the other girl wants to leave the set. And pretty soon everybody's leaving the set. And it's like a nightmare for the AD, like bring everybody back. What's going on? So, I had to find a way to keep these airbrush makeups looking fresh all day and not looking like they were hand applied. So what ended up happening was, so when you mentioned, is it part hack? Is it this, is it that? (laughs) What I had done was I had taken information that I got from a class I took. When you're in the union, the the wonderful thing about the union is that there's ongoing education all the time. They bring in different artists that are famous for doing hit movies, hit shows, and they come in and teach new techniques to all of the members. I had gone to this one class by this one makeup artist, Kelsey Fry, who was super prolific, had done tons of movies, and, you know, she started talking about some of the techniques in her filmmaking that she used. And, you know, when you do filmmaking, those faces are like 300 feet by 300 feet like you see everything she started talking about using these old techniques from the era of black and white film when makeup was water activated pancake with a wet sponge so that was one technique one thing in what she was teaching that stuck with me like hmm, maybe if i wet my sponges the other was you know cutting the sponges into certain shapes you know taking a makeup sponge and cutting it into a unique a unique shape like a beauty blender is nothing new. I will just say that makeup artists and special effects have to create tools and products all the time to accomplish new things that they're creating. And one of the things that I did was to just cut the edges off of a triangular sponge. You know how we all were using those triangular wedges? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, those wedges all have really sharp edges. And those edges, especially in high def, as you apply makeup and drag them across the face, leave lines of demarcation. And you would see these lines... In your dailies, when you would look at the playback from stuff you shot that day. So for me to cut the edges off the sponges and make uh, an edgeless applicator so the rest of my crew didn't have to be as conscientious about blending, like everything that you would use on these rounded sponges would blend magically and beautifully in high def. So it was a combination of taking a couple techniques from, you know, the history of makeup and putting them together in one product. But then it was about how, about me trying to find the right material to use, to make the product because the sponges that we were using, in modern time, were materials that repelled moisture. Because it was believed that if you had a sponge that absorbed moisture, it would waste your makeup. So all of the materials that I was making these sponges in originally were not not the same hydrophilic, you know, amazing material that you see now with the beauty blender, it gets wet and it grows. It was not that kind of material. So then I had this whole other journey of trying to find the right material because I had a hunch that if I had a nice natural sponge that absorbed moisture, it would help my makeup application. So it was all of those things put together and testing and testing and testing and coming up with this, you know, perfect beauty blender that we have today and delivering the kind of flawless application that I needed for high def. And that is how it was created. I honestly thought I would only sell it to other makeup artists. I was just going to ask, did you ever think it would go mainstream? Nobody is more surprised than me. I never thought that the average makeup consumer would find the kind of value that they find in Beauty Blender at first. I mean, as I started thinking about it and I started thinking like, wow, this can take the intimidation out of just makeup application in general for women. It started to make sense to me. But my initial idea was like, OK, great. I have found the way to supplement my income, to get my kid in private school, keep her there and do something good for my makeup community because we were all going to be having these same challenges. Yes,
0: that's so amazing. I know as you were speaking, I'm like, I bet she was thinking like she could only sell it like in her niche and then look at like how it exploded. But one thing that I love about your story is that you heard no a million times in developing <laughs> it. And when you finally heard a yes, it was kind of like a yes, but like, talk to me about winning people over to your idea because I know it didn't happen overnight.
2: No, it did not happen overnight. And no was
1: a, a challenge, a right? Word. I mean,
2: no was a word I heard a lot. So as I realized that I needed to make this product and it was going to at least change the lives of makeup artists. And those are, you know, they're my peers, my brothers and sisters. These are the ones that I wanted to really focus on. I started to pay attention as I traveled around the world with my clients, wherever I went, I would look at different packages Of sponges, like whether it was in a drugstore or in a makeup store, and I would turn those packages over and I would look to see where those sponges were being manufactured because I just knew that if I could get in front of those people that already were making cosmetic sponges, they would for sure understand my journey and what I'm trying to do, right? Well, that isn't exactly how it worked. So I would look and I would find these names. And I came to a conclusion that there was really only one or two of these manufacturers slash distributors in the whole world that were really monopolizing the whole industry. And I, you know, this was like before Google really even existed. I called, you know, 411 information on your telephone and I (laughs) asked for, you know, the phone number to the name of this company that manufactured these products and I just cold called them and I'm pretty aggressive that way. I feel like I I get really excited. I don't know if it's like the creative in me or what, but when I have an idea and I want to do something like I really I just do, like, I make a list, right? I think lists are really important. And every day I just check things off of this long list. As many times as I'm checking things on, I'm still adding things to the bottom too. (laughs) So the list never really disappears, but it does help you move forward. And what I would do, I would call the company, I would ask to speak to somebody in sales or product development. I knew that was a key word, like a key phrase, product development. I needed to talk to someone in product development who might understand what I want to make and I would literally if they were nice enough to connect me I would get somebody on the phone that would you know, tell me that there was no way they could help me or what I wanted to do was impossible. And what that would do for me would, you know, it would make me a little angry at first because I already knew that the product worked and I knew what was coming technically for makeup artists. And maybe they didn't understand that because they're invested in sales and retail. Yeah. So that would make me a little annoyed. So I, I would press it further and, and I would ask to speak to the next person. And eventually I would get, you know, an answering machine and have to leave a message. So basically I would call the people back. I would give them a couple of days and I would, you know, write down the, the day that I left the message. And then I would Lot, three or four days or the same day next week to call again and I just kept calling them and girl I just wear them down and they <laughs> finally would talk to me because I will not take no for Woman, <laughs> yeah it was just it was too much So I finally I got this one company on the line and they really were the biggest company by the way wow. everywhere around the world this company called Victoria Vogue, was on the back of all the sponge and puffs and you know by this time they were the last company i called by the way too you know, chance would have it, but they were the ones that ended up actually helping me. So I called and I asked to speak to the head of product development. I got this woman on the line. I explained to her who I am. My name is Rianne Silva. I'm a makeup artist in Hollywood. I do film and television. I do celebrity work and I have an idea. I need to share this idea with somebody. And I think your company is the best company for me to share the idea with. And the woman was just kind of like, taken back. And she was like, um, okay. (laughs) She said, but I just need to tell you, we hold over 300 patents for sponge designs. And I'm sure we have something that would already cover what your idea is. So I hate to tell you, it'd be like a big waste of time to even talk to us. And you know, again, I think I was just at the end of my rope and I just said, listen, I don't know who designs these patents. Who are you getting these designs from? And she was quiet and she was like, well, they're, you know, different, probably, you know, engineers. I said, okay, have you ever gotten a design for a product from an actual makeup artist that's working in the trenches every day and knows what we need. And she was like, well, no, not really. And I said, "Okay, so why don't you just listen to what I have to say or show you? It it seems like there's no harm in it. And she was like, "Okay, well, but I'm going to have to pass you to my legal department because... I don't know if, you know, they're going to approve us. Just, you know, you disclosing something. And I said, well, I have an NDA. You can yeah. just sign my NDA, which is non-disclosure <laughs> agreement, which protects both of us. And, you know, we should be fine. And she was like, OK, well, I'm still going to have to give it to my legal department. So I said, OK, fine. So I sent her my NDA. And it took her about a week to get it approved by her legal department. They sent it back. And when they sent it to me, then I sent her a sample of the sponges, which, by the way, We were hand cutting in our trailers every morning. Like, you know, you arrive to set every day. You're there hours before anybody's there. You sit, you get, you know, you set up your, your makeup setup and you prepare for your actors to come in. And one of the things that makeup artists do is they take those wedges and they bevel the edges of them. So, I would say to my crew, let's just start cutting these sponges into these edgeless shapes. And we would do them every morning. And then by the end of every day, those sponges would be gone. People would steal them. They would sprout legs and walk away. We would never (laughs) see them again. So, you know... I told back to the story of Kathy. So the woman that I'm talking about at Victoria Vogue is my makeup mama, I call her. Her name is Kathy, Catherine Bailey. And she actually has been working with me now for over 15 years. But she was the one that took the call at the company, you know, took it to the legal department, came back and said to me once she got the product, when I was able to send it to her, The next call I got from her was like, wow, this is the palm slap to my forehead. Why didn't we ever think about making something like this? And I said, because you're not a makeup artist. (laughs) Right. Okay, I told you I had something. And she said, okay. I want to help you. I want to help you make this. And she went back to Victoria Vogue and she said, okay, she disclosed the design to me and I want to help her make this sponge. I think it's really an innovative design and you're always, you know, tasking me to find innovation. So here is something new. They said to her, you can't work on this project. What? And so here I was, I finally had someone interested at a Big company, and I knew that they could help me, and they were telling me no, that she couldn't help me. Mm. So it was very disappointing. All the time, I'm still a working makeup artist, so I'm doing this on the side, trying to get this going on the side. And for me, you know, I said to her, I said, Well, if they won't allow you to help me. Can you direct me to somebody that you know can help me? And she said, Nope. She said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to do it on my off time because they told me if you want to help her, you can help her, but you can't do it on our time. Meaning nine to five, you can't, while you're with us, you can't help her. So it was awesome because They obviously didn't have vision and couldn't understand what I was creating, so they didn't hold her or me to any, you know, non disclosures with them. So she was free to help me. And from that point on, she and I worked together to develop. Beauty Blender and not only Beauty Blender that you know today, but also Blender Cleanser because there was never, you know, women had been getting sponge materials, whether they were little pads or wedges or puffs in their cosmetics that they would purchase. You know, you get a compact and you get a sponge in there, but no, the companies never told you what to do with it. They didn't tell you how to use it, how to clean it, where to get a new one. They would just give you this thing and just be like, you're on your own, figure it out. And you know, the thing is, is that these sponge materials are hardy. There's no reason to just use it a couple of times and throw it away. Plus, they're horrible for the environment if you're not using them longer and you're just, you know, if there's like this process of, you know, throwing it and repurchasing this replenishment kind of mm-hmm. idea behind it. It's just a lot of. Not good for the environment, kind of stuff. So I was like, I want to keep these sponges longer. I don't feel like there's a reason to throw them away right away. So I went and created Blender Cleanser, which is a way to really keep your sponge clean and also your brushes. So she went on to help me develop Beauty Blender, Blender Cleanser, and then help me create the business and the whole back end operational part of the business, which is a whole other side of the business, you know we look at the business and we think it's all, you know, shiny, shiny little (laughs) gems and fun, but there's this whole other side to the business, which is the operational side. So that's how I did it. It's so crazy. I, One thing I think about your
0: story that I think is just so interesting, and I have followed a similar model, but in a different way, is when you were a makeup artist, you were essentially trading your time for money. Like it was not scalable. If you didn't show up, you weren't getting paid and creating a product actually gave you the ability to create something that scaled or that could run while you're resting or whatever that looks like? What has been the biggest difference in those
2: different model choices? Mm -hmm. Well, that passive income, that, that idea of scalability and quality of life, right? Because When we talk about the hours that you put in in production, you know, no less than 12 hour days. I mean, you're always working for most of your life. I mean, you're your production family really becomes your family. You see them more than you see your biological family. You know, I mean, it's it's really, it really is. So for me, as I started to get older, and by this time I had been doing makeup for, you know, 15 years. And, you know, my daughter was a teenager now, and I felt like I had missed a lot of her life. Although, you know, she works for me today. Don't get me wrong. Everything works out. We have a wonderful relationship. She's an amazing girl. But, you know, I felt like... I missed a lot of her life and I did know that I didn't want to be 50 years old sitting in a trailer on the back lot of Paramount somewhere you know I wanted at that point in my life I wanted to be able to know that I had options and that there were you know other opportunities for me and I knew that it was going to be something out of my makeup career that allowed me to do it and it wasn't going to be you know working day to day on a set, because like you said, there's, there's a ceiling to that. There's only so much you can do. There's only 24 hours in a day and there's only one of you. And the thing about makeup artistry is that it becomes very personal with your client. It's very hard to trade yourself out when they want, they want your touch, they want Mm -hmm. your look, they want your application. So, you know, the thing, like, honestly, what I thought was going to happen was going to be that I could create these high definition tools for makeup artists that we're going to be having the same challenges that I would have. And it would be a business of passive income, meaning I could find ways to produce these products and sell them while at the same time still being a makeup artist if I choose to. Yeah. Because I, you know, I love what I do. I love being a makeup artist. So I never really thought about retiring from it. I just thought about a way to be able to supplement and be able to have some passive income while I was still working and creating.
0: So cool. What would you say? I think one of the biggest things I encounter with women is that we're told no once and we just say that means no never. And you had like the persistence and the belief in what you were doing to keep going. So, what advice would you give to someone who maybe heard a no or just stopped pushing for their dream?
2: Well, I would say they have to reevaluate the passion behind their idea because if one no stops you, yeah. then you have to reevaluate the passion behind the belief of what you're creating. Yeah. For me, I, like I said, I knew that. Listen, makeup artists were still carrying makeup around in gardening bags. Okay, <laughs> the the sponge business literally had not evolved. However, the sponge applicator, and these were all things I realized. The sponge applicator was the most widely known makeup tool to men and women. You could tell your boyfriend, hey, can you go get my number three angle brush for my eyebrows out of the top drawer in my makeup room? He would look at you like you were speaking a foreign language (laughs) and glaze over and not know what the hell you wanted. But if you said, hey, can you go get my makeup sponge? It's that triangular thing. And he would come back with it. Everybody knew what a sponge was. However, it had never evolved. You know, sponges were being made like like bread. They were, you know, being poured into tubes. Then they were being sliced like bread. Then they were taking that slice wow. of bread and cutting it like a pizza. Yeah. You know, it was the cheapest and crudest way to provide just some sort of you know, instrument for a consumer to not use their fingers and to be more hygienic, but it had never been evolved and there had never been thoughtfulness put into it in a way that made the product an actual usable, you know, remarkable tool for makeup. But see, I had this passion. And I knew that I could do this because it had never been done. And I kind of just felt like it was a lightning bolt from God for me to do this. And that's what made me not feel defeated when people said no, I would just know they weren't the right people. So if I push them, they're not the right people. I would be pushing the wrong person to understand my way of thinking. You know, if you hear no, that just means you haven't found your partner. Yeah. You need to keep asking people until someone shares your vision. And then you walk that journey together because they understand what you're doing. And it's a beautiful, like, you know, it's like, a walk through, you know, Eden's garden, when you find somebody that actually shares your vision, as opposed to walking through the Sahara desert, when someone yeah. doesn't, you know, I mean, it's the desert's beautiful, too. Don't get <laughs> <long>. But <laughs> No, is your protection, yeah. you know, like, I really believe that when you are passionate about something, and people tell you no, or they don't align, it's God's protection, you know, rejection is God's protection is what I tell people. That's a, Beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, man. I mean, when people say no, it's ju- it doesn't mean no. It just means they're not sharing your vision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you need to find people that see the way you see. What has been the most surprising
0: part of this exploding business for you? Like what's something you couldn't have even dreamt up or had on your vision board? The size of the business. <laughs>
2: It is kind of crazy, That's huh? so easy for me to answer. I mean, it's like I never thought, I literally, literally thought I was making products for other makeup artists, which yep. is a much smaller market than a global consumer market. I mean, I just, you know, I, I didn't... Okay, so we live this life. We know there's millions of people in the world. I didn't really understand what millions of people in the world really meant. I mean, there's it's a lot of people in this world. And I'm still to this day, you know, 16, 17 years later, amazed that I come across people on a weekly, if not daily basis that either don't know what beauty blender is and have never used it, you know, and to me, like, I feel like I've talked to the whole world at this point, <laughs> you know, I feel like, but it, it's amazing, you know, it's, this is a big, huge world. And that's why, you know, when you talk about advice to people that, may get the doors slammed in their face or, you know, no being told to them. This is a big, huge world out there. And there is somebody for everybody and something for everybody. And you just, your job is to find that partner. And if you, it's very simple. And people tell, you know, different artists will have these questions. How did you do it? And how did you move forward? And the thing is, is, it's a very simple concept. If you have an idea and you start working on it, and then you stop working on it, it's not gonna happen for you. Yep. <laughs> It's very I mean, it some people are amazed by that because they think like I'm gonna start with something and it's gonna be a really great idea, and then it's just gonna take on a life of its own, and I'm gonna tag along with it on this journey. No, yeah. no, 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 that's not what happens. That's not what happens. You start, you give birth to the baby, and then you have to raise the baby. You yeah. gotta feed the baby, clothe the baby, you know, like go through illnesses with the baby, every like you go through everything with the baby, your product. You have to keep focusing on it every day do something that takes you one step closer to your goal. Just even a phone call, even writing a list, whatever it is, that energy you put into it is the energy you're going to get out of it.
0: One of my favorite things that you've said is that you teach people to just do one thing every day, big or small, to move your business forward. And I think especially as women and mothers and entrepreneurs, there's seasons of lives where we can do those big, grandiose gestures day in and day out. And then there are seasons where it's like 15 minutes a day can be devoted to your idea. But if you're not taking action, nothing's going to happen.
2: And the passion is going to die because life is full. You know, women and I mean, human beings, we have on a daily basis, you know, we have catastrophes, we have successes, we have distractions, you know, and it's easy for us to become distracted and be unfocused to whatever that goal is. So every day, it's like a thread just keeping the dream alive. And some days, like you said, you have, you know, some weeks, You have to dedicate full fledged to your dream. And then there's weeks that come along that you can only do, you know, one little thing a day. Like if I got on a movie, you know, I did plenty of movies and TV shows while I was developing Beauty Blender. You know, I would totally be distracted by the things that were right in front of me every day that would take, you know, precedence over anything else. But I would make sure that at the end of the night, when I got in bed or whatever, I would make a list of like the things I needed to do. You just have to keep the dream alive because the dream will die if you don't feed it. Yeah. Oh, well, I am
0: so glad you kept your dream alive because as (laughs) a consumer, I'm like, praise the maker. She didn't stop. Here she is. Where can everyone connect with you? Learn more about Beauty Blender? Like all the things. Give us all the places to find you.
2: Okay. So there's so many places. So, (laughs) you know, obviously beautyblender.com is my website where there's tons of information about my products because now it's more than a sponge. I've got different sponges. I have, I have like a two pronged business. I have a tool business and now I have a makeup business because eventually I was able to take a breath from the growing baby called beauty blender and you know, finally be able to focus on what it is as a makeup artist, I really wanted to do. And that was to create makeup. And so last year I entered the actual color category of makeup by introducing my foundation called bounce. And now I've got bounce my foundation in 40 shades. I've got primers, I've got all kinds of products going on. So on my website, you can see all of that stuff. You can also go to sephora.com. We are a global business with Sephora. I mean, those are really really like the main places. We sell at Ulta. Those are the main places where you can actually see. <laughs> we are. I mean, those don't are the domestic. You can't find the pink pretty sponge somewhere. <laughs> and by the way, don't be fooled. I have many fans, too. Yes. I have people that have tried to create Beauty Blender and steal a little bit of my market share. So you'll see other fakes out there that are not the original. You know, we created the category. When Beauty Blender became a viable business where the cosmetic companies looked at Beauty Blender as a legitimate tool and not just like this cute pink, you know, maybe funky egg, that would be a trend product. Other companies wanted to start making their own types of beauty blender sponges. And for the most part, you know, someone like myself might be offended by that. And there were those days where I still sit back and gasp and say, how dare them? They just did something (laughs) so close to what I did. It's obvious they're copying me. But the really the truth of the matter is, Jenna, it's like, you know, because people copied me i am now the creator of the category that exists and no one can ever say that only i can say that and it puts me in that area of very special place where you know yes we are the original and we are worldwide and we are everywhere and you will only get our special material and all of the experience and expertise that went into beauty blender when you buy our product
0: i love it you are just so inspiring and i love just your story of evolution and persistence thank you so much for coming on the show today
2: oh my god yeah thank you i could talk about beauty blender forever well that's why
0: you are as successful as you are let's be
2: honest
0: (laughs) rianne's story of persistence is so admirable and inspiring I bet you probably have a beauty blender in your makeup bag. I know I do. And now my mom does too. Thanks to Rianne. I loved hearing how she traded time for money for years as a makeup artist, but transitioned with the belief that she could create something that could serve people, not just in her industry, but worldwide in order to create something that was scalable and potentially passive. How inspiring. I mean, how many of you discover this need in your industry, but you probably don't believe that you could be the one that could fill it maybe we all need to take a note from Rianne and go out with that same gumption and persistence so that when we hear no, it doesn't mean no, not never. It just means no, they're not the right fit for you and keep waiting until you find your very own Kathy. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast.